What is crack-a-lacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. Our team look-ahead train continues to roll on. We're up to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I brought back on Derek James. Follow him on Twitter, at Derek James NBA. He is still a fantastic basketball mind. He used to um, cover the NBA and the WNBA media at various places, including, since we are talking about the Timberwolves, um, Canis Hoopis. So I just want to reiterate, follow him on Twitter. Still a great follow. Does um, still follow the Timberwolves very closely at Derek James NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. Shout out to anyone who is listening to this on the night that it is dropped, which is Thursday night of this week, because it's the second podcast we're dropping in a day, because there are just certain teams that I have a backlog of these, but there are certain teams that are just wild cards and they terrify me that they're going to do something, whether it's trade for Ben Simmons or just, just something. I don't want them to date these in-depth look aheads too quickly. So shout out to you if you're listening to this on Thursday, because it means that maybe you've downloaded two podcasts from us in the same day. That just makes you an OG or something. I don't know what that it makes you very loyal. And we appreciate it. That being said, please, please, pretty, please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knox wherever you get your podcast. Subscribing and downloading every episode helps us out a ton. Also, regardless of whether you use iTunes, we ask that you head over to it. If you have access to iTunes, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five-star rating and write a review. It literally takes under 15, 30 seconds, whatever. The written reviews help a ton and the ratings really help move us up in the charts. This is your first time listening to us because you are a diehard Timberwolves fan, a devout follower of content that Derek puts out, or you're just here on accident. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the NBA at large. We are pleasantly sub-mediocre slash modestly insufferable around these parts. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can also follow us on YouTube, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will pop up. And we're on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. With all of that business out of the way, let's get into the Minnesota Timberwolves with Derek James. Derek Thank you so much for coming back to the Hardwood Knox podcast to help educate me on some Minnesota Timberwolves stuff as usual. Before we get started, the most important question of the podcast, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I am spectacular over here. Sort of kind of wishing the offseason was like a like a week or 10 days longer. Um, I'll probably be bemoaning it's too long next year, but... No real, no real life complaints over here. Yeah, someone pointed out that, you know, like when after um, the anniversary of Jimmy Butler's big finals game in 2020, that we had basically completed two seasons in less than a full calendar year. So, I, yeah, there, I definitely share that sense that like, wow, this offseason's already over. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind and I'm really just hoping that in their effort to get back to normal uh, schedule wise, I hope there's just not like an influx of injuries or something. I know like the science is still trying to bear whether that had any impact like over this past year, because of how short the previous mm-hmm. off season was, but just back to back truncated off seasons. Um, just uh, that, that worries me a little bit, or I should say a lot I mean, actually. <laughs> even if teams aren't, you know, um, injured, I think like I feel like it just still took a toll on, you know, even like the Celtics, even though they had, you know, major COVID problems. They were probably behind the Wizards and the Grizzlies, you know, the team that struggled with the most. And uh, I don't think any of the conference finalists made it back to even the conference finals. So I I think it really did not get everyone out who went deep. And I'll be curious to see how that plays out this year. I mean, especially with, you know, like a team like the Bucks and the Suns, it's like, there's no reason they can't, 
they sh- they can't go back to you know at least the conference finals, right? Um, unless this crazy sc- schedule catches up to them. Well, the Timberwolves have had a little bit longer of a break than um, those teams. The... And they will still not probably go to the conference finals. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a fair point. the The place to start is just they can't. Apparently, they just can't have like a non dramatic off season or something. But the whole. No like Gerson Rosas um, situation. Is that like something that actually impacts this organization materially moving forward? Is it purely an, an optics thing? Like, is it something that, you know, it's the, the whole situation is just like so bizarre. Yeah, that was something that really came out of uh, left field for some of us, I guess, who aren't as plugged in as others. Um, you know, heard that in the way that a lot of, you know, like some former employees were like, yeah, sounds right. Like that it was an uncomfortable work environment and things like that. And, you know, I think of as far as effect on the team, I mean, and everyone else in the workplace, I mean, that's really hard to say day to day, but I think the biggest risk, um, you know, could be, you know, someone like Carl Anthony Towns, who's like, you know, I think he even voiced his displeasure, you know, with, you know, more turnover. Um, I don't think he had an issue with the reasoning why I wouldn't guess, but he's like, you know, there hasn't been a lot of stability and consistency here. And it's really hard to build anything when you have that upheaval constantly. Yeah, and the optics obviously aren't great. I think was this is the situation where he was the one that t- tweeted like WTF when it all went down. That's like never yeah. a great sign when like one of the 15 best players in basketball like is caught that off guard by your instability. Well, and I don't think we knew um, very much at the time what was going on at that point. And I mean, it just looked like they had just fired their general manager right before training camp. And it's like, well, why would you do this then? And then then you're like, okay, well, you know, inappropriate workplace relationship and toxic work environment. And it's like, okay, well, that is, you know, a decision that you've had to, you know, you have to make. And, you know, it's just, it's just really unfortunate with this team that, you know, I don't think there's any way to know this, even though Gerson Rosas had that weird, like, I don't think he made it six days as the Dallas GM at one point, that weird little (laughs) stint he had before he was pushed out again. And then, you know, there's just this and all the, you know, the rumblings that we heard underneath and, you know, you know, I don't think there's any way to, you know, suss something like this out in advance. I don't think, you know, Glenn Taylor could have known anything, even if, you know, hey, Glenn, for one reason or another, you always wind up picking the wrong person. Um, yeah, it's just, I, you know, you just hope that this hasn't really strained that relationship with Carl Anthony Towns, because I think that has a trickle-down effect on the rest of the organization. I mean, I was in that locker room in 2014, Kevin Love's last year in Minnesota, and his, you know, discontent really just seemed to just cast a cloud over that entire room. It was not a good place to be in. Uh, it doesn't seem like Cat is in that place. He seems like he's, you know, he's still in a more positive place than, you know, Love was, and that, you know, this is probably just another thing that the organization has to work through. Um, but I guess on the bright side, you know, it's, it is a sign of a healthy organization that, you know, they remove the people, you know, who are creating this situation like that in general. Um, so this isn't just, you know, A-Rod and Mark Lord just deciding that they want to, you know, turn over the front office right before the start of the season. That would be <laughs> truly chaotic. I think this is just, you know, really unfortunate timing and hopefully they've contained the collateral damage. Yeah, and uh, the, I, I didn't even think about the Gerson Rosas and just his short sit in Dallas, but I guess I'd probably argue that if he had a toxic workplace environment and an extramarital affair there, he'd have gotten a couple of promotions based on what's happened in Dallas in the past. <laughs> so, 
uh, I am obligated. To, yeah, that's the big place. Um, I am obligated to ask sort of a – it's a basketball question, but it's, like, not immediately on the court because this player is not on the Timberwolves. Um, the, the Minnesota's been at the forefront of the Ben Simmons rumor mill. I think the latest report is that they're still sort of there, but Gupta just isn't, like, as, you know, hot after Ben Simmons as um, Rosas was. My my twofold question on this is one: Do you like the conceptual fit of Ben Simmons in Minnesota? And two, like what type of package or what's the best package that you would realistically be willing to give up for him? And I've been asking these questions to the teams that have been linked to Simmons the most because like the packages mm-hmm. out there just get so wild. Like you have what Daryl Morey wants, and then you have like the reply people on Twitter who want to give up an expiring contract in two seconds because they think that Ben Simmons <laughs> is crap now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely think we've gone too far the other way on Ben Simmons. Um, you know, a change of scenery could do him good. A good sports therapist could probably do him good too, all the same, and, and just stay in Philadelphia. Um, now, is that the best environment with, you know, Doc Rivers, who has thrown his players under the bus, you know, on and off the record in the past? <laughs> Joel Embiid, who says everything that comes to mind? Like, I mean, I don't know that that's the place for a guy who's dealing with some fragility issues and struggling with his game. Um, but there's no doubt that, you know, like, let's not lose sight of this. This is the Minnesota Timberwolves. This team has had one winning season since 2004. I mean, if, so if you can add an all-star, a perennial all-defense guy, defensive player that you're a candidate, uh, that's something, you know, you do have to look at that. I mean, especially if you think that you can get him. Um, I think what's tough with the Timberwolves is that they just, you know, the, Kirsten Rosas was so, you know, he took a lot of chances with their first round draft picks and like the, the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade, I guess we'll see how much that, you know, how that looks in hindsight. Generally, I think giving up first round picks is a bad idea. I think, you know, like the, the most damaging one was the Adrian, the first round pick for Adrian Payne that flips on just gave up years ago. Um, so I think you really have to, you know, so if they get into a situation where, you know, they owe all these picks down the road or in all these pick swaps, you know, in general with that, that can be very harmful to a team that's looking to um, to build. I think it'd be very certain in someone like Anthony Edwards, assuming you're keeping him, right? which is like the question of, you know, what are you giving up to get him? Um, you know, I know like Wolves fans, you know, of course, like I, I could probably do Jaden McDaniels. Like, you, no, you definitely <laughs> do Jaden McDaniels in that situation. Don't be ridiculous. Like he's a nice prospect, but like, he's not, he's not like off the table good. Um, I would definitely go as far as Dean. I think, you know, you, but you know, apparently, you know, Gerson Rosas wanted to keep Russell or Russell Edwards and Simmons, but I don't know how, what are you doing then? McDaniels and Beasley and some picks. Like I wouldn't do that either if I was Philly. So, I mean, it just in general, it just seems like everyone's kind of cooled on him and no one wants to pay what more he's asking, you know, as these teams, you know, got into camp and start to, you know, start to build some continuity you know, that's, that would be a major upheaval. And I think you would have to know, like, you, the, what are you going to do with this? You know, if you do, you know, you uproot you up your team for what, you know, so you gotta, right. I think you got to know, like, if the, when this comes together, what's it going to look like? I mean, if you're the Nets and you trade for James Harden, you're like, well, eventually we're going to be a championship contender this year once that all settles down. And they would have been. I mean, I think that was right up. That was, that was a great gamble to take if you're the Timberwolves. Um, you kind of have a look big picture here and, um, you know, you do have Ben Simmons under contract for three, four more years after that. I mean, that's, you know, if you're giving up something there, at least, you know, you're going to be able to keep the guy for a little bit. Um, but then, then like, you know, do the Sixers, do they want, you know, Malik Beasley can help a team now. Jaden McDaniels is a prospect. 
you know, that's what does that leave them with, you know, Maxi and Tybal, you know, as the young guys around him and, the, and Tobias Harris, like that's, you know, it's hard to say that's a, a title contender. And, you know, it definitely knocks them a step back if they do that. So I, I get why Maury is asking so much for Simmons. This especially seems... given where the team... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't realize you weren't finished. All you. Oh, no. <laughs> I was just saying, like, you know, I get why he's asking so much. Um, you know, but from the Timberwolves, I don't, you know, I think it makes sense that Edwards and Towns are off limits. I do think there's a lot with Anthony Edwards. Um, even if, you know, he looked, he definitely looked lost at, some very lost at some points on defense last year, but, but offensive, I, I really like the way that he finished the season. Yeah, I would agree that, I mean, Talon should 100% be out. Don't give up the best player in the trade for Ben Simmons. Like, that's just a no. terrible <laughs> idea. Uh, and I would agree that Anthony Edwards should be off the table. I've seen, like, you know, parts of Wolf's Twitter just, like, not wanting to give up D'Lo, and that's, in a vacuum, that's ridiculous. But then, to me, it's, like, the element of him being friends with Towns. I don't know how that impacts it. That's the political part of that to me. Like you have to go to towns and be like, Hey, I know that all three of you are buddies, but we can't do this without giving up Russell. And, and that's the important part there. What you made a really good point about too, is there's a big difference between having done this like a month or six weeks ago. And now when you're through training camp, the season starting, and it would be nice to also go through a season where like, you know, you had the Chris Finch change in um, to hiring Chris Finch yes. in the middle of last year which was something else that didn't generate <laughs> for the Timberwolves. And this is all what makes this a complicated case is that I, I think you need a third team here because Beasley McDaniels, those are guys that can help the Sixers immediately. I can't imagine they would be super high on Russell moving forward. And so if you're going to use picks and other salary as like the meat and potatoes of the deal, plus Beasley and McDaniels, there needs to be that third team that is willing to, and look, historically, this wouldn't be the dumbest move, but hedge against Minnesota's future and take on their their mm-hmm. draft picks. Maybe that third team arises um, as the season goes on. I feel like I would give it like a sub 10% chance that Simmons ends up in Minnesota, but I think Minnesota's the team that I would be most interested just looking at the basketball fit, him and Towns and Anthony Edwards. That's the team that I would love to see him on the most. Yes, yeah, I think that's that's a very cool team. I mean, you all the ball handling that you would still have on that team, you would have a guy who could defend um, next to Ant and with Cat, I think it's funny when you mentioned um, a team you know that you know would maybe hedge against Minnesota's future. I mean, this just sounds like Sam Presti and just <laughs> right. you know asking for the extra pick and then shuffling some other assets to Philadelphia. Um, I'm sure Philly would love Shea. I would. Uh, I think people in Oklahoma City would riot if they if they traded Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, oh, it'd be over for them. <laughs> People who are actually employed by the Timberwolves, though, include Chris Finch. And he was there. I think he ended up being there when I was going through the like the, the data. He was there for more than half the year last season, or at least um, Saunders was gone for more than half the season. I think that timeline was like pretty quickly rebounded. Did you ha- like have any takeaways from any changes in, in how the team is going to play under him? Um, I felt like there was more structure with Chris Finch. Um, I think that was the biggest thing there. I think I look, I noticed it, especially with um, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. You know, I think before that, you know, before I started watching D'Angelo Russell every day, I was like, oh yeah, I don't mind him. You know, he's a guy, you know, who's never afraid of the big shot and everything like that. But he's actually, he actually can be a wildly frustrating player at his worst. Um, but I thought that he don't, he, his shot selection um, actually looked like it had, it was 
of more refined under Chris Finch. Um, and it looks like he's playing more of a all around game. I think them, especially them we're used to with Russell. And I, I believe with Edwards, there was a significant drop off in his threes per game from Saunders to um, Finch. And I thought that was really important there. You know, it's like, you know, this Anthony Edwards could get to the line very well for a kid, right. especially a guy who has not had much coaching in the past, has not played a ton of basketball in his life. And he still has just all that potential. And, you, you know, you don't want to be too restrictive with guys, but I think, you know, that especially for young players still learning like that, I think that structure and discipline can be good. Um, and that, and, you know, discouraging them from just pulling up and shooting the ball, you know, just because they can, and, you know, try to get it inside and get to the line. Um, I think, you know, I think seeing that stuff more and more from Anthony Edwards. And I think some of the stuff that we've seen from camp on defense has even been encouraging, although even in preseason, but, you know, I mean, that's always training camp in preseason and, you know, hope is alive right now. Uh, you have to kind of see how that plays out on the court, but I think it's, it's encouraging what we saw. Um, I think especially, you know, the way that they finished the season, I think, you know, I, under, you know, I feel strongly about the way that they finished with, you know, I think they finished like almost 500 of the last 25 games of the season, which is not a nothing sample of even an 82 game mm-hmm. season. Um, you know, so I think when they have that long stretch of strong 500 play, I think that's really encouraging and something to be optimistic about, you know, and again, preseason now, but they start off what three, four, and oh, they go into Brooklyn tonight. I think that's going to be a good test, you know, because I mean, the first three quarters of these games, I mean, it's been mostly NBA rosters. I know the Clippers didn't play Paul George um, and Zion's been out for the Pelican for the Pelicans game too. But like, you know, Patrick Beverly didn't play the other night. He got a rest night and they still stomped the Clippers. Um, so it's, you know, it's good to see them going out and taking care of business against the teams that, you know, they should. And, you know, I think, you know, looking at every opportunity, I think as a building experience, it sounds kind of cliche, um, but for a team that has not done a lot of winning, there's been a lot of losing and disappointment. I think that they need to go out and build these habits. And, you know, if you can show up in preseason, I mean, you know, it's going to be a good practice for, you know, the middle of February in Detroit when, you know, you don't feel like, you don't feel like, you know, getting up for it. I think we, if we can measure their commitment by Patrick Beverly being so invested in the outcome of a preseason game that he tattletailed on Bowens Highland, um, I think that might have been, was that preseason game number <laughs> one or two, whatever it was. Uh, this team is going to be heavily invested in in maybe every game. There's their defense was bad last year, and there's an element of can it really get any worse if nothing changes because it was that bad. But right. is there like enough low hanging fruit when you're looking at some of the stuff that they did wrong being, you know, I think some of the stuff that stood out most glaring is if you watch pretty much any Minnesota Timberwolves game, there's just all these possessions, but they seem completely disinterested in getting back on transition defense. But just even whether it's like fouling less, uh, is there just enough low hanging fruit for them to address to be measurably better on that end? Or should we still expect like a, you know, maybe not bottom four, but like bottom 10 defensive team here? Yeah, I think bottom 10 would be a, a good realistic goal. Uh, I know, you know, like if you're as Anthony Edwards, especially, you know, I think, you know, using him as kind of the barometer for how this goes because his role just grew so much. I mean, he wasn't starting at the beginning of the year and by the end of the season, you know, he was playing, he was playing good minutes. And I think if you have a, a guy who's clearly never played NBA defense, I mean, he would get the spots and he wouldn't know where he was going. I remember times when Jared Vanderbilt was like pointing to the spot he needed to be in. I mean, he had no idea how to play NBA defense. And so you have a guy like that who's 
has such a big knowledge gap, I mean, the, that defense is really going to suffer. And it seems like he does put in the work. I mean, I, I know that um, I don't watch basketball quote was controversial, but I mean, it sounds like, you know, like he really does put in the film study. So like, why am I just going to watch it for fun when it's my job? Um, but I feel like he's, you know, he's probably put in the work to, you know, to study, you know, his weaknesses and learn the schemes and where he needs to be. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully that has a greater effect when guys don't have to worry about compensating for his mistakes. Cause I think we see a lot of basketball, you know, and this isn't just Anthony Edwards. I mean, this can be D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, um, any of the guys, you know, when you have these breaks in the chain and, you know, guys aren't able to, you know, someone isn't where they should be. Well, that forces someone else to have to cover that. And that leaves another gap and you just can't have these errors and these lapses again and again. And I think so to be more disciplined on that end and, you know, gaining experience together, um, cause you know, like we mentioned like, you know, the turnover, the timber rolls, I mean, that's especially been true on the roster. You know, guys need to play together to, you know, to learn each other's tendencies and, you know, learn the system. And now this is another coach. And, you know, I think, you know, having a training camp with all these guys, finally, for the first time since the 2020, yeah, the 1920 season. I mean, th that's huge. Wow. When you, when you just put it like that, that just sounds so ridiculous because it is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a pretty new roster last season, too, I think. What are looking at the Edwards? What are realistic expectations for him in year two? Is there anything? Look, and I think on defense, just as someone who clearly did not watch as much Timberwolves basketball as you, when you look later in the season, it did feel like there were games there was a little bit less ball watching, a little bit left of like guys getting behind him or him just leaving people completely unattended in the corner or something. And just, I don't want to place too much stock, but like the ferocity with which the reports or quotes out of training camp were just like, he looks so good on defense and then factoring in just the vibes of this guy. Um, you mentioned, we probably mm -hmm. talked about the quote, I think one of the two times ago when you were on this podcast that you had about not watching basketball, his, he is like first team, all vibes in the NBA right now because of what he says yes. in the interview. So I'm just going to assume <laughs> that he gets a lot better on defense, especially just being his second year. He was so good after the all-star break. He hit almost 39% of his off the dribble threes. Um, you did mention that maybe he was more selective in the ones that he was taking, which, could help but like mm -hmm. is there just anything specific you're looking for him to or an area of his game where you could see like the biggest leap really coming aside from just that that defense because that that's another instance of you know how much worse could he actually get yeah right um I, so i think you know one thing i've noticed like especially like the defense so far in preseason and just uh, like backing up what they've seen i believe that you know it looks good um because you know I, what game was it it might have been the start of the pelicans game where he blocks the pass from his own man and takes it back the other way. And then, you know, he has a, a chase down block and a, maybe the same game too, you know, so it's nice to see that, you know, attentiveness, not gambling and being patient, but then also not giving up on plays. I think that's huge, you know, like, you know, just cause you know, you're behind the play doesn't mean that you can't catch up. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of time that effort can go, you know, take them to could, could take him pretty far. Um, but I think, you know, we want to, I think what I want to see from him is just being more of a facilitator. I mean, I think up to this point, he's look, you know, looking at the guy and watching him play. It's like, you know, if you were playing against teenagers, you know, a couple of years ago, actually it was in high school two years ago, I think. No, three years ago, you know, which really isn't that long ago. And I mean, this guy, he's looked like an adult, I'm guessing most of his life. And so he's probably able to just coast by on his physical gifts and be the guy. Um, but I think seeing embrace more of, you know, being the more of a facilitator there, less of the, less of a ball stopper, 
at times. Um, although I think good things happen when the ball's in his hands. But I think, you know, looking out, like, you know, is there a play for somebody else in this team? Because, you know, you're surrounded by Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Michael Beasley, or Malik Beasley, not Michael Beasley. Oh, God. Um, you have all these opportunities. <laughs> it's a throwback. Um, but, yeah, he doesn't have to be that guy. He doesn't need to take that upon himself anymore. Um, so I think that, you know, there should be – looking at being more of a facilitator and making those extra passes sometimes, I think it'd also benefit him a lot. Do you think it's, um, I, I, they're going to put the ball in his hands and that's been pretty clear. Do you think that sort of impacts how much he's going to play with D'Angelo Russell outside the starting unit or even how they use D'Angelo Russell a little bit? Because uh, Edwards was already second on the team in pick and rolls ran per game. And I could even see a scenario where this season mm-hmm. that he just leads the team in that category. And so I'm just curious as to how his development could actually impact how this team views or uses D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with Ant, right? Like, I mean, he started the season. I think the expectations were low for him. You know, it was like, yeah, he's, he's a very, you know, he's an intriguing prospect, um, very high upside, but you know, he doesn't have a camp. He didn't get a summer league, any of this. So they really brought him along slowly. They didn't put him in the starting lineup until he was too good to ignore. And I think, you know, it could be the same thing, you know, with, Russell, you know, and who's the lead ball handler there is, you know, like, is this guy just too good to ignore at this point? And, you know, do you want to put into his hands more and more? I think that's a potential scenario that we could see happening. Uh, But I think no matter where he goes in this league, I think we see over and over again these last few years, you know, the teams really want multiple ball handlers on the floor at the same time. Um, So I, I don't know if there's necessarily going to be you know, designation of, you know, who gets what, but I think, you know, getting him used to playing with another ball handler is just NBA life at this point, you know, whether he was in the Timberwolves or, you know, somewhere else, you know, having to play with another ball handling guard, you know, if you're going to be a starter and play the type of role he is, you're going to have to get used to that. Um, so I think that will definitely be something to watch, um, especially since this team has so many guards. I mean, like uh, Leandro Balmaro coming over, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, Malik Beasley, there's, you know, the, Jordan McLaughlin's, Jalen Noel's, like they have a lot of guards and a lot of, you know, guys to try to get minutes for. Um, so I think it's really interesting to watch, you know, just how that rotation shakes out in general and how he fits in with that. Uh, and I think it, I mean, if you have, if he's shooting the way that he did post all-star break, Anthony Edwards, and you have just D'Angelo Russell, like those are two guys who get really difficult shots off the dribble and Russell's still good at running pick and roll. Um, I'm curious, like Russell was still fine at like 19.6 assists. Hits almost 39% of his threes. It still felt like an uneven year from him. And he was dealing with some like injury stuff. Um, is that like, is there like a better version of D'Angelo Russell then for this team? Or is that probably about like what we should expect from him on a year to year basis at this point? Yeah, I kind of expect the, to see more of the Russell that we saw at the end of last season versus the one that we saw at the start of the season that was, you know, just kind of, you know, just kind of did his own thing. Um, you know, he hit those, you know, he hits those big tough shots sometimes and it's like, well, you know, and it's a lot of fun, but you know, I think when you look at it, like, well, was that really the best basketball play? Was there, you know, a better shot somewhere else, you know, even if it wasn't him, that type of decision-making, I think we saw, you know, a lot less of those shots, you know, I think, you know, it's like reminds me of like when Ricky Rubio came over and, you know, for the first couple of years, he slung some really fun passes, but then, you know, sometimes it's like, you don't need to make the flashy pass. Sometimes, you know, the simple pass is perfect. And I think that sometimes it can be the same thing, you know, with uh, shot selection. Sometimes it's the easy shot. That's the best one there. You know, whether it's you or someone else, um, it, not every shot needs to be a contested 27 footer. Carl Anthony Towns 
everyone has been through hell over the past year and a half plus. No one more so than him. Just, I, I don't even want to list off the stuff because it's just so unfortunate and tragic. Just going through the death of his mom, all his family members, having COVID himself, losing, what did he, he said he lost like 50 pounds or something, which is just like. And he's not like a, no. you know, he doesn't have a lot of fat mass to give. <laughs> no, I mean, when you watch it, like, no, like he didn't have 50 pounds to lose. Like this wasn't, this wasn't no. Zion. So um, what I feel like, and I'm reticent to say this about stars, even though I did just recently record a Nuggets podcast where I said about Jokic, in part because maybe he's only played in 85 games over the past two years for just a variety of different reasons, most of all of which really were beyond his control. Have people forgotten like just how good this dude is? Like the discourse around his like actual whatever Twitter was angry about, like for a few days, one week, I was just seeing like the stuff about annoy where Anthony Towns like ended up in some of like the NBA rankings. And I was just like, Mm-hmm. I don't know how he would even get better on the offensive end. Like that's how good this guy is. No, I mean, I think aside from Nikola Jokic, I mean, he, he is the most efficient big man in the NBA. Um, you know, it's been, I feel it does feel like we've, it's been a long time since we've seen him. He was all NBA in 2018 and, you know, 2019 was a disaster, um, you know, with the Jimmy Butler departure. And then, you know, he's injured in 2020 and then, you know, like everything we mentioned since then, like it, it's been a long few years. Um, I think it's been a very trying few years for him too. And, you know, when he's played, he's been great. He came out at the start of the 19-20-20 um, season, you know, just guns blazing, you know, 30 points, 14 rebounds a game over the first few. And it was, you know, it really looked like, you know, we were going to see, you know, the best version of Carl Anthony Towns yet. And then, you know, the suspension after the scuffle with Embiid, and then he gets hurt, and then the season shuts down. And it really just felt like one thing after another. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, it really felt like, you know, his disposition with the team was, like, really just souring. And I think so just the way that, you know, he's handled everything since then. I think the team has allowed him space to process everything, which I think you have to do. Um, we didn't see him for months, you know, I think it's about seven months since we had heard from him, you know, after the wrist injury to, you know, losing his mom and then, you know, other family members too. And I mean, he was just, I think what's really admirable about the guy is, and this is not basketball necessarily, but just, I think just how much more mature that he presents himself. Um, and it, I feel like he's really, you know, cause he's always, you know, given the safe quote, the sanitized quote. Now I feel like we really just get, you know, the authentic Carl Anthony town. Um, and it, I do, it, it's been, you know, great to see him come out the other side of that, at least from what we can see um, as this incredibly strong person. Uh, and so I, I'm curious to see, you know, like, you know, now we, hopefully we can get a full season of him, you know, staying healthy on the court and, you know, reminding people just how great he can be because yeah, he is, he's an incredibly special player when he's on. Um, and I know, I know people always, you know, bring up the, yeah, but the defense, it's like, he can do just about anything else on the basketball court. Um, you know, he's not a perfect player, uh, but yeah, he's the, the, offensively. I mean, he can, you know, he can score from inside and out. He can pass the ball. He can rebound. Like there, there aren't a whole lot of deficiencies with him. And, you know, hopefully he gets to remind us, you know, of that. He is still somehow only 25. And I guess in part, because over the past years, it feels like he's been through the ringer and I'm with like the off course stuff, just, uh, grieving in public like that and even just some of the quotes that he gave like just the candor is i like having to go through that and do it so publicly i can't even fathom that as someone who's just older than carl anthony towns having to grieve 
so yeah. publicly and, and cope with that trauma. I just like, leave me alone. Like if I had, you know, if there was a major life event that I had, and even like my Facebook friends, you know, were mass like commenting, you know, like reaching out all the time, like guys, just let me breathe. And so just to be a public figure and to have to go through all this stuff, I mean, that that has to be difficult too. And that's why I cringe a little bit when people say, and I'm assuming the sentiments are like, not this, but like, I don't want to politicize his grief where it's like, they should talk to Carl Anthony Towns about the risks of COVID-19. It's like, it's not Carl Anthony Towns' responsibility to educate everyone yeah. on what's one, he shouldn't have to, but like <laughs> that stuff makes me cringe. Point being just, and I still, I don't remember the exact quote now, but when he just said like, basically that that former self or version of himself is just gone. Everything, like that just really like, that stuck with me. That was, that was the most sobering availability that I can remember covering the Timberwolves. I think that was last fall when it was the first time that he came back and spoke and, you know, he was just, that was very somber. And I think all of us came away from that, just like, holy crap. Like. Yeah this guy's really been through it. You could just see it on his face. You know, it looked like he had, you know, he definitely you know, carried himself differently than when we last saw him. Is there any, uh, also the past two seasons, just his, his passing, just like some of the, 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 like the tosses he makes like off the dribble now, like it's, it's like watching a point guard almost. Um, is mm-hmm. there, I don't even want to say, is there a better version of Carl Anthony Towns? Like on off, I don't even know what that would look like. I guess I can't fathom it. Is he going to be used any differently like under a full season of Chris Finch or it's like, I just, I can't imagine necessarily improving it, but I just guess, I guess with having D'Angelo Russell, having Anthony Edwards, even Malik Beasley factoring into there, just because when you look at like their top five players, but barely played together last year or over the past two years or however long it's been, I'm just curious if there's like any change in how he might be used on the offensive end. By the way, the, the top five players barely played together last season is like the Timberwolves story. Feels <laughs> <laughs> like every season it's like, yeah, the top five guys, yeah, they only played 115 minutes together. Like, funny how that always seems to happen to them. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, a better version, though. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's tough. I mean, because like you said, you know, like to your point about him slinging passes like a point guard, when he catches the ball at the, you know, the top of the key and you know, with a big man on him, you know, that guy's getting taken off the dribble more times than not. And it's really just like watching a, a shooting guard go to work or another wing. Um, so, yeah, I mean – and someone like in his game and talents, you know, in Chris Fincher's imagination, I think that's going to be fun to see how that plays out. Um, I can't pretend to know enough defensively about how they're going to use him. Um, I know there was a lot of hand wringing about the drop coverage they had him in and whether that was the best fit for him. So I think wondering how, you know, he looks, he's used defensively too and seeing, you know, how there are ways that they can benefit him there it would also go a long way. I think that's probably the better version is, you know, just, finding a way to um, not necessarily hide his defensive deficiencies, but um, play up any strengths that he has on that end while, you know, covering up as many as he can. My, I don't, maybe it's not a spicy take, but if there was just like some semblance of consistent defensive talent in front of him, or like if they could just find the front court partner for him, that's just the front court partner for him. And it doesn't feel like it's this turnstile of options. I think if you're able to just streamline his defensive or narrow it down, that he probably doesn't look like as much of a, mm-hmm. a liability. No. And I mean, I think, you know, like the obvious thing that, you know, the quick thing that comes to the brain is like, you know, oh, f- find him a Draymond. Like, yeah, right. Like just go <laughs> find a Draymond like this <laughs> unique prototypical player, but you know, it's the guy who can, you know, just defend just about anybody. And I mean, I think, you know, at times, you know, Jaden McDaniels, you know, he looked good against, you know, those bigger guys and, you know, he's, he's very much built like a teenager still. And, 
Jared Vanderbilt, you know, he, he can hold his own, but you know, at times, you know, against bigger guys, you, you see the size disadvantage into play there. Um, so yeah, I'll be very curious to see who can grow into that and how they can sort of, I guess, manage those mismatches, like, you know, like with Vanderbilt, um, against, you know, bigger guys and how they can handle that. If you're curious, the lineup on this team that makes and I think would constitute their top five guys, unless mm-hmm. you're just very high on Patrick Beverly, Jade McDaniels, and Edwards, Lee Beasley, Towns, and D'Angelo Russell, those five didn't play a single second together last season. And if you just take out Jaden McDaniels from that, the other four mm-hmm. per clean the glass played a whopping 27 possessions together last season. Oh my gosh. That is wow. low. <laughs> <laughs> that's low I mean, that's even probably- by Timberwolves standards, I think. Yeah, that is incredibly low by temporal standards. And I, well, I wondered too, if it's something where, you know, like the Wizards a couple of years ago, where it's like, how is this team going to defend? And the answer was, they're not. They're just going to, you know, score the crap out of the ball. <laughs> I was already drunk on Jaden McDaniels before Summer League. Mm-hmm. After watching some of the stuff he was doing on the ball in Summer League, um, I'm still intoxicated. Definitely over the legal limit with it. What... <laughs> Is there like more than a three and D role for him though on this team? It feels like the constraints could be more organic because of all the talent that's around him. And I'm also just, what is the thinking or unless I'm just off here, it does feel like they don't want him to necessarily be that for with how we see uh, people are assuming Jared Vanderbilt will start next to towns. We've seen towns with Nas Reed in the preseason too. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious what the logic is uh, b- behind that. Yeah, I don't I don't think they know quite yet where they're going with that four spot. I mean, like you mentioned, they've they started one game with McDaniels and Vanderbilt. Um, and then they have, you know, also put Josh Okogi in there. Um I think you've seen Okogi, Beasley. I don't know who they're gonna put in there tonight. Um, uh, but it could be someone completely different. Maybe they do go big and big um against the Nets. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think at least McDaniels has been in the lineup. You know, it's hard to tell sometimes, too, like if that's, you know, is he going to be primarily, you know, a three or four? And then they just kind of switch it up, you know, depending on the matchup there. Um, it seems like, some, I mean, he's too good not to play, though. And I think I, I think maybe any sort of um, hesitancy in playing him at the four would be to kind of save him a little bit uh, from going against more physical players. But then I don't really know how many physical fours there are out there these days. But they're you basically know, like wings the now, Dennis right? Rodman's and, yeah, exactly. I think that's kind of the thinking too with McDaniels. It's like he might not be a four long term. You know, maybe he's a three. You know, I, mean, I don't know that the handle's there right now for him to create. I think someone pointed out to me too, like you know, with like his body type and you know his game. It's almost now this is not talent wise either, but just kind of Kevin Durant, like where he just has that high release point, same lanky frame. Um, so I think you know physically, it's kind of interesting to watch. You know, like what he does and where he winds up playing um because you know like he he really needs to put on some size too i think maybe before they bring him inside that's the only thing i can think of um but you know for a little for a smaller guy like he holds his own i mean he seems like he's pretty strong even if you know he may not look like the strongest guy on the floor and i normally wouldn't even get caught too much uh, up in the positional designations for many of the reasons you just outlined but like if you do play Reed and Towns in the front court, or if it's Vanderbilt and Towns in the front court, and then Jane McDaniels, like there's very clearly a center and a power forward in that scenario. Then because like you're not yes. having Vanderbilt, <laughs> uh, and no, I I feel like McDaniels might end up having an okay floor game. I got a little bit worried that like just when you watch him dribble, it looks like he his knee might knock into the ball when it's coming like his way back up. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know whether they have the bandwidth to sort of like explore the the deeper parts of this game. 
Yeah, I mean, that's probably something that's going to take a little time. And, you know, like his catch and shoot game, I mean, that's looked good. That looked good all, almost all season last season. Uh, you know, he's pretty reliable out there. Um, but yeah, I think that that handle, you're right, is definitely something. And I think one thing that could determine, you know, where he plays as much as anything is what the guards do. Because like I mentioned, they have about six rotation-worthy guards. Um, so it's going to be tough to find minutes for them. And then Jake Lehman is still hiding on this team somewhere. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're gonna trick me into believing in him during the first 15 games or something of the season. I can feel it. Oh no, that's a trap. I just can't wait for like it's like with Ricky Rubio, and every time he goes to a new team, he's like, Oh, he's hit, he's made shots for two weeks now, and it's like, Yeah, he does that every single season. To be fair, there was like a season long con when he was in Utah or whatever. He hit like it was an astronomical mm-hmm. for Ricky Rubio high percentage of his threes, and I think he swindled me a little bit into believing during that stretch too. He finished like 41%, 42% one season. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, did you Have you seen, and the numbers were not good on this last year, but I'm willing to throw last year out the window. Do you like the idea of like Nas Reed and Carl Anthony Towns playing together? I like Nas Reed. And I think he's, people probably don't like understand how good Nas Reed is. Like, and he stretches the floor too. I don't know if I love those two together though. No, that's 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 kind of a weird one. I feel like their skill sets in some ways kind of overlap in the things that they like to do. Only Nas Reed is a little less athletic, I think, you know, by NBA player standards. I mean, obviously, by, you know, normal human being standards, like he's incredibly athletic. Um, but I think... But just so yeah, aggregators are clear, Derek is not one. saying that he is more athletic than Nas Reed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's never been a question. Um, you know, I think, just you know, to Nas's credit, I don't think we talked about this you know, last year by this time, but, you know, Reed, I think when he started out, it's like, are we sure this guy's ready for the NBA? You know, I mean, he was just getting lobbed over and it's like, dude, you're six foot 11. How are they just throwing lobs over you? Like that shouldn't just happen. And I mean, he really, I mean, you could see the work that he put in and, you know, just how much more comfortable he got as the season went on. Um, so, you know, maybe there is a way that, you know, he adapts to playing next to Carl Anthony Towns more in certain situations and, experimenting with that lineup maybe in spurts and when it makes sense he so you kind of already mentioned how difficult the guard rotation is going to be and when you look at if i was when i was trying to build a top 10 rotation for them it does feel like they have eight locks with cat and delo vanderbilt mcdaniels Nas, beasley and beverly um would you agree that those are the eight locks and how would you finish if you had to pick two more players to sort of finish off that rotation with who are you rolling with oh oh man i forgot about patrick beverly yeah, he's on this team. You know, yeah, no, I I like that too. Um, just like that chippiness is just something that they haven't had. There hasn't really been anyone on this team, you know, almost ever who just gets under guys' skin and you know can be that agitator. Memphis um, Grizzlies legend Pat Patrick Beverly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, they just brought over Landry Morrow, like I said. So I feel like they're going to want to see him. So I feel like that's the ninth. See, this roster is just still so imbalanced in that it skews backcourt so heavily that I think they're really going to have to experiment with Beasley and Edwards on the wing, for sure. I don't see how they can just, you know, be like, oh, no, yeah, you're strictly, you know, backcourt players, sort of, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, so then they still like, okay, well, you know, you have Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, you know, probably one of those two guys for the last spot that I can think of without having a roster up in front of me. Yeah, and look, Paul Morrow's also 6'6 himself. And so do you think he's actually going to get regular run as a rookie? And do you know anything? I know very little about like oh. what he's supposed to do. 
Oh, Torian Prince. Yeah, he's probably the other. Yeah, because he he can play. I think I think he can play either forward position. Yeah. He. Oh, he definitely can. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that would be my other one then. Um, do you expect Lamar to get like actual test run with this with this team? And do you like what do you like or know about his game? Um, I don't know a ton about his game. I know that, you know, he's, you know, uh, I think he's a bigger guard that, you know, really emulated Ricky Rubio growing up. I don't know that I noticed him, you know, a ton in preseason yet. It might make sense to bring him along slowly, but, you know, they invested, you know, the capital in, you know, drafting him and, and signing him long-term. Um, so I, I would definitely expect them to try to find, you know, some use for him as the season goes on. Uh, I wonder if we'll see the same patient approach that we saw with, um, like Anthony Edwards last year and is bringing them along slowly. And I mean, I'll be really curious to see, you know, what the lineups look like um, as they work their way through the season. We have reached the cookie cutter quick hitter portion of the podcast. The questions that I ask every single person, regardless of the team that we're speaking about, <laughs> what is the biggest weakness on this team? Be it if it's a specific position or just like a, a player archetype. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's a lot of what we talked about with um, in the McDaniels conversation and, you know, where he fits in because uh, that front court is just, you know, it's so weird. I think, you know, you, you know, you have Towns, you know, you have Reed, um, but who really steps into those other spots, you know, in the forward positions and who can really play, you know, who plays best next to him and, you know, is there a long-term solution there? Um you know, Prince, maybe, you know, he's still young enough to be here, you know, when the Wolves are good again, but maybe you need, you know, see Jaden McDaniels take over, or even Jared Vanderbilt, um, you know, very long-term deal. He'd probably like to play his way into a longer-term deal going forward, I think. So that's that's one that I would, I, I think, point to as the biggest weakness. And, you know, I think if you could shift depth from one part of the roster to another, I think it would be some of that backcourt depth to um, the front court. Uh, this the answer to the question can clearly change as the season actually unfolds and we have a real sample size to work with. But as of now, who would you peg as the player most likely to get traded from this team before the deadline? Oh gosh, who is? I mean, I'm sure they would gladly trade you know Jake Lehman and rehome him. But you know, he, you know, with his small salary and you know his usage, like his value isn't very high. You're not really going to get much for him. Probably makes more sense in a bigger deal. Mm. Um, involving some other guys. Um, I like Billy Beasley. I definitely think he has a role on this team, but they also just traded for Patrick Beverly. They have D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> Anthony Edwards, and all these other guys too. Um, so I really wonder where he fits in long-term. You know, I mean, you know, there was a lot of, I was really surprised by the reaction to when he signed his deal um, last off season. Like that's not bad money. Like that's Jordan Clarkson-ish money. Like that's it's pretty reasonable. So I wonder if there's you know a contender down the road who needs a who needs an extra you know an extra shooter. I think that would be interesting to see. And you know they have a lot of guys who are willing to take shots too. So you know who winds up being expendable there. I mean even if you know who knows maybe Beasley isn't expendable expendable at that point. But I think he's probably the most interesting realistic guy because I don't think they would you know, really entertain Jaden McDaniels unless they got something really good for him. I think if you think that they're just going to be buyers, uh, whether it's getting Ben Simmons, if Pascal Siakam becomes available or something, he would mm. be the clear answer to me. I'm looking at this team as like, okay, I 
don't want to spoil like the over under predictions. Like I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. Patrick Beverly's on an expiring contract. Are you going to want to definitely resign him? It feels like he's the one that could get shipped to a contender and he has sort of the mid-ish end salary at 14 million. And I'm with you on Malik Beasley's contract. Uh, Malik Beasley's contract too is like with the cap going up and him not being super old, even if you're not sure where you're headed after this year, I might want to keep him. But I do think he is the player, regardless of if it's a buy now move, he is like the player that has to be in any permutation of a deal that you come up with. Um, That's Malik Beasley. And he only has two more years left after this season too. So, I mean, you can easily live with that. This, I would, I guess this question is probably less matchup dependent for a team like the Timberwolves. It feels like this answer could be set in stone, but what do you view or what do you think should be their go-to crunch time lineup? Oh gosh. Um, I think while well, Russell Towns, Edwards, and that's, that's kind of where it gets tricky. Um, you know, because I don't know. I don't think you can have like a Josh Okogie out there. We haven't talked about Josh Okogie. Well, I mean, <laughs> if he starts in um, all of this, if he starts playing better on offense, we can talk about Josh Kogi. <laughs> yeah, man, there's there's just been nothing there. And I think this is what you're four or five. He's, no, he's, you're four, I think, you know. Yeah, he's just a nothing. On that he's like so, pure ungoverned uh, rim pressure, at least, I guess. But like the end result of that isn't always good <laughs> or watchable. No, and I'm. He hit one three in preseason, and they were like, and at the broadcast, whichever broadcast it was, was just raving about what a shooter. And I'm like, he made one corner three. So I take it it wasn't the Timberwolves like, broadcast. Then. <laughs> I don't think so. They're, they're pretty realistic with that stuff. Um, but you know, I might go with the weird um, Beasley Edwards two three whatever you want to whatever you want to call them. And then I guess, you know, I think Jaden McDaniels probably brings a better balance um, with um, the offense and the defense for the last spot versus someone like Jared Vanderbilt, who, you know, he isn't the Josh Okogi of fours, but, you know, he's not really an offensive player at this point in his career. Um, so I think that that makes a lot of sense. So, I'd, so McDaniels, Beasley, Edwards, Russell, and Towns would probably be mine. Is there like a spot that's particular? I can also see them trying to like, I agree with the lineup that you picked. I'm wondering if they like, would they try and work Patrick Beverly in there a little bit before they would try and work in Jared Vanderbilt, who is like, plays like he has nitrous oxide coursing through his veins. Jared Vanderbilt is, is an acid trip to watch. It's fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, and you know, like he's very smart too. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier about him, you know, telling Anthony Edwards where to go and just, you know, being aware and like clearly understanding this stuff. Um, Yes, but anyway, um, yes, Patrick Beverly, I could totally see. I don't think it would be out of the question to have what Russell, Beverly, Edwards, I don't know, McDaniels, and then Towns. I mean, I I think that's a realistic lineup that we could see at some point. Is there a wonky, weird, offbeat, even a lineup that they would never try, but that you still want to see them try next season? (laughs) You know, they have enough guards to do... They can do something weird with Beverly, Russell, Edwards, and Balmaro and Towns. <laughs> you know, just go go four guards and Towns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know when you'd ever want to do that. Um, that's a that's a weird one that pops to mind. I'm sure you could get really weird with the uh, um, Nas Reed, Carl Anthony Towns lineups too. 
I don't like building a lineup without Carl Anthony Towns in it, but if he's going to be on the bench, I would pay to see Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and then Jared Vanderbilt. That just feels like a very, what could be a high octane, very undisciplined lineup that I would probably absolutely fall in love with. It could also end disastrously, but give me like Jared <laughs> Vanderbilt plus four wings. And I feel like that team could fly. Give, look, if you want to put Carl Anthony Towns in there, plus the four wings, um, I'm totally good with that. <laughs> just surround him with chaos engines. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. Surround him with chaos engines. <laughs> Their current win total over under as we record this is 35 and a half. Would you take the over under on that? And where do you, you know, assuming let's assume they don't make this huge trade before the start of the season. Um, even though I can assure you, I'll probably put this podcast up immediately because I'm terrified that, you know, teams like the Timberwolves or Kings are going to date my conversations, but um, yeah, you're taking the over under on 35.5. Yeah, that's that, you know, that was the thing, you know, like this, this was a lot easier to answer. Well, it was even harder with, we don't want Rose was still there because, you know, it's like, you know, this is your second year with your full roster. This is your coach. Um, I think, you know, 40 wins would have been an expectation there. And I don't, you know, maybe there's no reason to still, you know, change that from the expectation, but you know, is that necessarily realistic because I mean, you put all this effort into building this team and, you know, with what you gave up to get Russell and then, you know, making the move to bring in Beverly, you know, like this seems like a team that, you know, wants to win now. We know how well suited they are for that. You know, I mean, I guess we, everyone can differ on that. I mean, I feel like there's some opportunity there. Um, I don't trust the Pelicans. You know, I don't think, you know, the Spurs. Nor should you, know, you they, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, that, just seems, that seems like the wheels could come off that at any moment. You know, the Kings, like, I don't, you know, you don't trust the Kings either. The Spurs, I mean, yeah, they're the Spurs, but, you know, you look at that roster and they don't even have, you know, DeMar DeRose and the Marcus Aldridge anymore. You know, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of unproven guys in new roles, or at least, you know, unproven in those roles, in those bigger roles. Um, you know, I think they could get to the 10th seed. So I will say over, but not by much. Where I run into an issue with this for them is I only view the Rockets and Thunder as the teams that I know are going to be worse than them. I feel like they're so entrenched in that Pelicans, Kings, Spurs territory right now. Um, yes. Maybe even you could throw the Grizzlies in there. I I probably shouldn't just because they've burned me the past two seasons because I thought they were going to be bad. But like they clearly just were like, we're not trying to win. Over, like They traded Jonas Valanciunas with their second best player last season yes. <laughs> um so like you have that gaggle and i guess i could talk myself and be like okay they'll be better than two of those other four teams um but just that combined with the fact that i've been a little bit generous with my over predictions as i'm looking at my document right now i'm gonna take mm. the under i don't feel great about it because if anthony edwards is better or as good as he was to close the season if town stays healthy that's just like that one two punch is so exciting and can do like real damage over an entire season yeah, and I can understand that. I mean, it's not, you know, even just like thinking through you know, me saying over wasn't easy because I do think those questions about like the defense and, you know, how much of what we saw at the end of last season is real. Um, can Anthony Edwards, you know, keep getting better and better? I think those are things that we can't answer now. And I think if we knew the answer to those, you know, of course, this would be a much easier exercise. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious to see, you know, how they answer those questions. And, you know, honestly, I, a 40 win season would be great. You know, I think even just playing any sort of competitive basketball and getting that 10th seed for them. Um, I think that would be a, 
a big boost for a fan base that has really just had very little to get excited about over the last few years. I will say if they are the team that gets Ben Simmons and the end result, as I would expect it to be in that scenario, is you have Towns, you have um, Anthony Edwards, you have Ben Simmons, and I'm assuming they'd still have Patrick Beverly, even though if I were the Sixers, I might want Patrick Beverly in that deal. I think that core is like 45 wins easy. Like that's how high I would be on the Timberwolves if they make that trade, even if they're giving up three rotation players in Beasley, McDaniels, and Russell in the process. Yeah, you know, I think, I think like depth is a tricky thing too, especially, you know, when you're looking at playoff teams and that, you know, like, cause you know, like, oh, what about their depth and, you know, this or that? I mean, as long as, you know, there's no significant injury, which is always the case for everybody. Teams are only playing, you know, eight, nine guys on the high end, you know, in a playoff series anyway. Yeah. You know, those rotations sync up so much. So it matters so much less. And, you know, I think there's there's still talent on this roster. I think that they could surround them with to even just get to 45. Um, I mean, 45 now would seem like a dream scenario. Like so much went right for them. Um, yeah, with that, with that kind of core, though, that you mentioned with Simmons in there, I think, yeah, that would be much easier to see the path to 45 wins. I, and the final thing I was saying that too is when I like we were going through the rotation, I love their top eight guys. Like those are all really good NBA players. And so that's why 35.5 at one seems low. I would need some assurances that the defense is not going to be like absolute ass. I think like that might be the right because I don't think there's been a team I picked the under where I've loved the top eight guys. And like this isn't like, oh, they really run out of options <laughs> after guy four. Like their top eight guys are good NBA players, and two of them are probably yeah, great a, NBA players. Yeah, and you're not talking to yourself into, you know, like Trevian Graham or something as like the seventh guy or you know, I've been there or something though. that's just really <laughs> <laughs> so have I. That was not those are dark days. Um, yeah, it's you know, there's room for some optimism there, but I think as always with this team, it has to be cautious optimism. Is there anyone on this team or anything about this team I haven't asked you that you think needs to be discussed ahead of the start of this season? Man, not that I can think of. I feel like we've been pretty thorough on this one. Um, Look, if you have a Josh Akogi yeah. tribe to go on, feel free. I'm all ears. <laughs> I'm, you know, I think, you know, so Kogi, um, gosh, I just wonder what his role is on this team. And, you know, and, you know, he was a Tom Thibodeau draft pick. Now they're on to, um, Sanjay Gup- Sanjay Gupta, Gupta. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how, you know, tethered to him is he really going to be, you know, it kind of makes me wonder that, you know, his, he does good stuff, but, you know, is that really, you know, enough to keep him around there? You know, does he crack the rotation? Um, so, you know, like him and Torian Prince, I think, you know, that, you know, that's real competition for those Okogi minutes. And it's going to, it's just got that much harder to see the floor on this team. I think, you know, even with Patrick Beverly, um, but I also think Torian Prince will push guys like Okogi on this roster. Low key. If I was Jordan McLaughlin, I'd be kind of pissed about how the offseason unfolded. You have Leandro Balermo on here. They traded for Patrick Beverly. And now it just feels like he was someone who, even when he was hanging around on the free agency market, you were like, okay, he, maybe he could play, but now it's like, oh, he's probably not going to play. Yeah, no, that's the frustration. And like, you know, he's shown stuff, you know, it's not that he can't play. And I wonder if it's a situation, like I remember when Nikola Pekovic was um, in his restricted free agency and, you know, like the negotiations were dragging on and on and teams really just kind of stayed away from him because they knew that 
you know, like, okay, he's probably going back to Minnesota no matter what. Like, it's not really worth tying up our cap space to move on this guy. And I right. wonder if it's kind of the same thing, you know, even though, you know, he's not a high dollar player, you know, it's like, well, this isn't really worth our time, you know, but maybe there, you know, there could have been someone else out there who could offer, could have now offer him more than the Timberwolves likely will be able to, but you know, it's a long season. Um, you know, if, you know, he has had to work his way up now and, you know, someone to get, you know, unfortunately get injured at some point, there will be some opportunity. Um, that's thing that I think having guys like him and Noel who can absolutely play at any given moment, I think that's, you know, that's a sign of a good, healthy roster, even if they're not, you know, high level players, um, they could still contribute. I guess if they're both in the rotation, though, that's probably a red flag for the health of the rest of the roster. <laughs> it was, it, it was last season. Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> and they weren't up by 35 in the fourth. <laughs> Uh, Derek, this was fantastic. As always, are you able to tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media, um, any work that you might have to plug it at this point? Yeah, I don't really have any work to plug anymore, or at least at this point. Um, see how that goes throughout the season. But um, yeah, right now, just Derek James NBA on Twitter. I'll have my thoughts during the season. Um, as we go, watching the games with the rest of them, just... Not as a fan, but just, I guess, casual observer, I guess. <laughs> no, you're definitely more than a casual observer. I echo – well, I don't echo. Um, you Self-promote harder. Follow Derek on Twitter, people. If you haven't already, at Derek James NBA, <laughs> spelled exactly as it sounds. Great follow. Great insight onto the Timberwolves. Um, he's tweeted about – tweets about the WNBA. He was always someone when he covered the WNBA that I would follow for insight as someone who just wasn't um, following that too intensely but wanted to keep up. So – Great follow. One last time at Derek James NBA. Go ahead, follow him. This was great, Derek. I think you know by now you've made four appearances because I'm a doc that tracks it to make sure I don't bother people too often. And three <laughs> look ahead specific appearances. I think as you know by now, I will come calling in the future. So thank you for giving me so much of your time. Awesome. Please do. Yeah, man. This is great. <laughs>